Maya Angelou was quoted once as saying, I have written 11 books, but each time I think, uh-oh, they're going to find out now. I've run a game on everybody, and they're going to find me out. I um, came across this remarkable quote in a new article about called, Why Everyone Feels Like They're Faking It, written in the, in the New Yorker by Leslie Jameson. And in order to do research for this, she put a call out for people who feel afflicted by imposter syndrome, as it's come to be known, imposter syndrome. And she received an avalanche of submissions, naturally. A university administrator wrote in to say, I grew up on a pig farm in rural Illinois. Whenever I attend a fancy event, even if it is one I am producing, I feel like people will still see hayseed in my hair. Uh, another sort of Charlottesvillian type example, an artisanal cider maker wrote, I've made endless ciders, but each and every time I, that I start fermenting, my mind goes, this is the one when everyone will find out you don't know what you are doing. Now, um, this goes for preachers <laughs> as well. Uh, I did a straw poll in our office, and every single person you hear from uh, from this pulpit uh, feels at 7.30 on Sunday mornings that they are complete frauds and that this will be the Sunday when you have nothing to say and everyone realizes you're a bit of a joke. Um, imposter syndrome, it depicts an interior experience of being a fraud who has successfully deceived some external audience with it, the fear that we harbor of being exposed as inadequate. And it's not actually a syndrome. That's a misnomer. In fact, it was coined in the late 1970s by psychologist Pauline Clance as imposter phenomenon because it is so universal. It names the gap between how we experience ourselves and how we present ourselves to the world. So it designates not a syndrome, but an inescapable part of being alive. The feeling that you are, in fact, on some level an imposter. There is a difference between who the world sees you to be and who you know or, or suspect yourself to be. Now what I'm talking about here is the universal experience of internal accusation. Internal accusation. Have you ever felt accused by your own mind to say nothing of the outside world? To feel like this is the week, this is the morning, this is the conference, this is the Sunday when everyone figures it out, that you alone do not know what you're doing. And it brings us very close to today's passage from St. Paul, which deals with the question of justification. This is sort of a legal term and it's, uh, it's kind of highfalutin, it's a little daunting, but it's a question that lies not just at the heart of the Bible, but of life itself. To be justified is to be declared righteous. Are you really telling me that lies at the heart of all of our lives, Dave? Yes, I am. I admit that very few people, if I walked up to them on the street and asked them uh, if the question of how they might be justified before a holy and righteous God kept them up at night, most would say, no, that does not, <laughs> that doesn't register, Dave. Um, but if I asked if the struggle 
if they struggle with their own sense of being enough, if they struggle with some abiding internal accusation, I think the results would be substantially confirmatory. Pursued by accusation, we chase our enoughness, our righteousness, into every corner of our lives, driving everyone around us and ourselves crazy in the process. Now, don't get me wrong. The quest for justification may not be the only thing going on in life, but it does occupy a much larger slice of our day-to-day than we would care to admit. Our default mode, our default attempt to silence the voice of accusation is by what Paul calls works of the law, which is simply our doing, our attempt through through our striving, through our resumes, through our our, uh, uh, just back and forth, the inner game of tennis, to, uh, to climb some ladder of worthiness. It is any attempt to index your self-worth to a specific activity or corner of life. We usually do this with a ladder of some kind. We do everything we can to keep climbing lest we lose stature in our own eyes and the eyes of other people and therefore be deemed unlovable. What am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about clearly the corporate ladder. I'm talking about the college acceptance ladder. I'm also talking about the parenting ladder, the thinness ladder, the social ladder, social climbing, the influence ladder, social media, the school pickup line ladder, the real estate zip code ladder, square footage ladder, the sustainability ladder, the enviable vacations ladder, The inclusivity ladder, I don't know what it is for you. Everyone's got different ones that they're climbing on. Many of us have have multiple. But we can take anything and turn it into a ladder, right? Today, I think there's something called the struggle ladder. Whose struggle has been harder in life? Mine has clearly been harder than yours. Not, right? I mean, but that's, that there's an implicit contest. Uh, But life is not a struggle contest, as we know. And yet we treat it that way. There's the diagnosis ladder, I think, sometimes. I'm justified by my diagnosis. We can construct a ladder out of pretty much anything and come to find out that the higher we climb, the longer they get, the longer the space between rungs, and the more focused we remain on ourselves rather than on the needs of our neighbors or our loved ones. And as imposter syndrome illustrates, this mode of answering the voice of accusation simply doesn't work. Paul says the law brings wrath, which is to say repeated success. All of the sociologists and psychologists who studied imposter phenomenon have noted repeated success do not break the cycle of imposter syndrome. All that frenzied effort and mental calculations that go into our preventing the discovery of inadequacy ultimately just reinforce the belief in the inadequate, fraudulent self. I, got, I clearly, it worked this time, so I better just re-up and try even harder the next time to keep fooling everyone. Dr. Clance, who, who studied this phenomenon originally, has seen clients healed not by success, aka climbing a ladder, but by the kind of resonance with other imposters. Hearing stories of perceived and real impostorship is the only road to healing. Now, 
I caught a glimpse of this this past uh, summer. Um, my wife is a, knows everything about podcasts, and so she filters them and sends me the, the good ones, and um, uh, along with Philip Lorish out there. And they, uh, they told me to listen to this podcast called Dead Eyes. Do you know this podcast, Dead Eyes? Well, it's about a comedian named Connor Ratcliffe who was cast in the 2001 production of Band of Brothers. Have you seen Band of Brothers, HBO, Tom Hanks, World War II? Amazing, right? Epic. Everyone loves it. Well, Connor was cast, and he had a speaking line, and he thought this was his next rung on the ladder of success. They flew him to Belgium. He filmed the scene. He thought, oh, my gosh, the world is my oyster. But then they viewed the dailies. And he gets a call, and he says, Connor, you need to come in and meet with us, the casting director. And she says, Connor, unfortunately, I've received word from Tom Hanks himself that you are to be re recast your part. You have, in Tom's words, dead eyes. <laughs> and so the whole podcast is, is one man's journey to understand why he was fired by Tom Hanks for having dead eyes. And the whole... Three seasons of this are him interviewing people who've got other stories of rejection and falling off the ladder and how these have actually been more formative. The best one, by my favorite, is the one that Judd Apatow, the writer and director, famous guy, gives. He, he talks about being cast as a comedian in a reality TV show, doing an audition for this in the 90s that was being produced by Jim Henson. And he thought the audition goes well, but then he's told that Henson wants to use some of his ideas, but that he himself will not be cast because he, quote-unquote, lacks warmth. <laughs> and he says, you've got to understand, I was just told by Kermit the Frog that I lack warmth. The man who taught me to read on Sesame Street accused me. Now, anytime we receive some bit of feedback like that, to the extent it resonates with our own internal accusation, we will be destroyed. In Apatow's case, though, it led him to always give actors multiple auditions because he knew they might come off as lacking warmth the first time around. And you listen to these guys share these stories, and you have this tremendous outpouring of compassion and identification and love, and you realize that, in fact, the good things in life are not always found at the top of those ladders. But in the admission of defeat, rejection, and yes, even impostorship. And yet, it could be that fellowship at the bottom of the ladder is a good start. But is it? Well, is it enough? I don't know. I don't know. I know that what Jesus says in today's gospel reading is that he did not come to condemn, but he didn't just come not to condemn, he came to save. He did not come to accuse, but to justify, and not to justify those who have their act together, for whom there's no gap, but for those who would be declared ungodly, which includes Connor, which includes Judd, which includes, I hope, me. One of my favorite memes that's been circulating is, if God did not send Jesus to condemn the world, he probably didn't send you either. <laughs> well, just because we may not be able to answer the accusation of not enoughness, it doesn't mean that there is no answer. It, this is what Paul uses Abraham to explain what he's talking about. 
He lifts up a person for whom was received a blessing from God, a promise from God that was not a result of his obedience or his works or his goodness, but simply of his belief that his enoughness, his righteousness was a gift of God given to him in spite of his lack of qualification. The promise, Paul tells us, rests on grace, not on effort. The promise depends on the one who makes it, not the one to whom it is made. And this is justification by grace through faith. It is the announcement, the glorious announcement of unassailable righteousness bestowed on the undeserving, independent of merit. It is enoughness given freely to those who insist on paying, but at great cost to the giver, God himself, who in the form of his son Christ silenced the only accusation that truly matters. On the cross, he satisfied the judgment of God. The condemnation fell on him so that all that remains is the promise offered to us in his flesh that I have come down to you, I have justified you, I am with you, and I promise I will bring you home. This is good news for exhausted climbers and fearful imposters that the God of Jesus Christ of Abraham is not waiting for you at the top of some ladder. He is no imposter when he says to you, without fingers crossed and at full volume, I am here with you right now, wherever you may find yourself, even at the bottom of the ladder. Amen.